what I found long term is that if people are not connected with their habits um, and they fall off their habit wagon, it's partly because they're not able to truly gather that felt data, right? So I talk about qualitative and quantitative data. Like what's the number on the scales, the number in the bank account, the number of clients, the number of emails, the number of people you employ, right? And then there's how do I feel about these things, right? You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now... Here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform, 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. As host, my job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yachtme. Did I mention it's 100% free to nonprofits? Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's W-H-Y dot Y-O-T dot M-E. Join me on these live events every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Register at yacht.me or nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me, Kev Kyatt, at kevkyatt.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be. And check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. How often do you tell yourself you're not quite good enough? Over half of the actions we take every day are done out of habit, including how we talk to ourselves. In this episode, Dr. Tamsin Astor, Chief Habit Scientist, explains how detoxing isn't just green smoothies, but also includes resetting our self-talk, especially around our personal expectations, which we know in the case of nonprofits can be astronomical. We've come to expect super long hours, and in some cases, we wear burnout like a badge. Let's hear Dr. Tamsin explain how we can reset our habits and our expectations. And we are live, the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast here on uh, Yachtme Virtual Events Platform, also brought to us by uh, PodPro Audio, which is making professional podcasting easy. So uh, welcome, Tamsin. How are you? Good, good. Nice to see you, Kev. Yes, thanks very much. It's a lovely spring day. So we're going to be talking about what uh, makes bad habits easy and good habits hard. Uh, but before we do that, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where we can find you online and any sort of packages or training or programs that you uh, have to offer? Sure. So my name's Dr. Tamsin Astor. I'm the Chief Habit Scientist, International Speaker and Author, and I help people connect their daily habits to their big, juicy life and business vision. I am based here in the US, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I coach. So I have three-month coaching packages um, from crappy to happy. 
uh, 90 day habit reboot. Um, I also have some group programs that come up and on. I've got one at the moment I'm running called cleanse and create where you detox and clear the channels and then create a vision for your life. And um, in the fall and spring of next year, I will be teaching a six week um, credit class at um, Tri-C. It's a certification that I've created called the Mindful Leader, um, which is a six week program, which um, is for C-suite executives, um, entrepreneurs um, who are in positions of leadership. So that's me. I'm very active on Facebook. I do lots of lives. You can also find me in my free Facebook group. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn a bit. Um, so come hang with me. Right. Can you just explain what Tri-C is? Tri-C is Cuyahoga Community College, and I'm going to be doing this through the corporate college, which is their business school. And we're waiting to see what happens with COVID as to whether we do it online or in person. But we may start, we're, we're hoping to do a September cohort, um, an October cohort, a February and a spring co cohort. Um, so for a year, of the six-week certification, which is 1.8 credit hours. And will that be available uh, online at some point for people who are not in the yeah. Northeast Ohio area? Yeah, that's the, the plan is to do a combo, is to make it in-person and virtual eventually, yeah. Right. Okay. So lots going on, lots of ways of getting in, in touch. Uh, before we dive into that, let me just explain that on this platform, we are uh, currently doing the main event, which is the live podcast recording. And uh, afterwards, we will uh, end the recording and move into mingle mode, which is where we take advantage of the tables, uh, the, the representation uh, on, online that Yatmi has of a, of a gala event. And we'll be able to carry on with some conversations with those who are uh, able to stick around. So uh, let's let me ask you first about that second coaching uh, package that you talked about with with cleansing and detoxing. Uh, because um, as a chief habit scientist, unless you're talking about uh, hygiene habits, people might not necessarily make the connection between uh, the physical the body side of it and and some of the behavior and, and, and mental um, components. Can you sort of draw that line for us? Sure. So, you know, when I talk about habits, I'm talking about basically most of the behaviors that you commit to and you automate, right? So 90% of our self-care behaviors are habit. Over 56% of what we do every day are habits. And habits are behaviors that we've done repeatedly and our brain has created an automation around. And so because my background is in neuroscience and in Ayurveda, I combine these two with my coaching. So when I'm talking about detoxing, I'm talking about the relationships that you have with certain habits. So for example, this program I'm doing, we look at detoxing the mind. So your mental habits, where, how do you talk to yourself? How do you navigate boundaries around people shoulding on you? You should look this way. You should earn this much. You should enjoy this job. Um, so shooting is the verb. Shooting the verb is the verb. Yeah, yes, like we that. want to avoid shooting on ourselves or on others because that doesn't serve us, does it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Be it's careful like, who you should on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We also want to avoid masturbation too. You know, like I'm not oh, about right. masturbation. Okay. Right. Um, we have so, a whole new lexicon here. I know, right? It's great. Right. Okay. So, really, so detoxing is really, you know, one of the reasons I help my clients detox a lot. And it's not just like green smoothies, although I'm a big fan of green smoothies. It's about clearing the decks, right? Because when you make space um, and you evaluate how you're behaving or how you're not behaving or how you're showing up for yourself, it makes it easier to listen to yourself, to your, to your gut, to your intuition, to being in this place makes me feel safe. 
doing this work is fulfilling. Being around people like that make me happy, right? Um, because what I found long term is that if people are not connected with their habits um, and they fall off their habit wagon, it's partly because they're not able to truly gather that felt data, right? So I talk about qualitative and quantitative data. Like what's the number on the scales, the number in the bank account, the number of clients, the number of emails, the number of people you employ, right? And then there's how do I feel? about these things right mm -hmm. and and which do you emphasize or do you, is it about getting a balance between the two we need both and our society tends to frown more on the felt piece because we're taught to sort of suck it up and perform right you are a mother you should do this right you are married you should do this you do this job you need to do these tasks in this job rather than do I, is this in my zone of genius? Do I enjoy it? I mean, one of the things I find interesting is I often, when I do consulting with organizations, um, do Gallup strengths and I help them have conversations around what their innate strengths are. And it's always interesting to me when people go straight to the things that are the bottom of their list, you know, and I say, look, let's focus on what you're good at and build your life around what you're good at and build your business around what comes naturally to you and be aware of what you struggle with and what's not an innate strength and find people to support you rather than thinking, oh crap, I need to get really good at that too, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what we uh, in in nonprofit problem solving. We have something called the impact superpower, and that's it. that's exactly that is that strength that that is going to uh, lead to impact more directly or faster or easier, uh, and getting people not to try and do it all, but to do the things that they're really good at and backfill with the things that they are not so right. Right. And part of that is ego, too, is we have to let go of this idea that we have to be brilliant at everything, you know, and just be like, this is what I'm good at. You know, so for me, for example, when I started as an entrepreneur, I was like, I have to do everything. And then after a while, I was like, I am like, I'm the activator. I'm the big thinker. I'm the person. I hate doing all the nitty gritty, you know, like that does not excite me. Like I've done it. I did a PhD in neuroscience. I had to do nitty gritty. But do I enjoy it? No. So now I delegate the nitty gritty. <laughs> right. Right, right. It, it's interesting. That, so one thing, uh, I do a clubhouse room on on, on impact superpower uh, e every week, and the the people are are very uh, eager to share the sort of superpower or strength that's on their resume. Um, but what we then pull out are the things that they take for granted. And here's the reason I'm spending some time on this is this is basically comes into this habit notion is the stuff that they they do automatically that comes really easy to them mm -hmm. that they therefore don't value. Right, and it's interesting that uh, that say, for example, uh, you and I. I mean, we know each other personally, so we know that we socialize. We like to meet new people, and, and so on. And we also know that there are people in, in our lives who who shirk at the idea of going out and and meeting people. They don't like that that sort of thing. And in, and you know, in a professional capacity, that could really frighten people. They don't right. want to necessarily uh, learn how to flex that muscle because it doesn't come naturally. But yeah. if it's a superpower for you, or if it if it comes easily and naturally, you sort of discount it because you didn't have to do any work for it. It's not something right. that you had a skill you had to to hone. So it, it, to me, there's something there about about habits. It's neither the good or bad habits necessarily, but but it's something that we take for granted. Right, right, and it's and it's you know it's for learning to articulate that. I mean, so that's one of the reasons I always say to my clients, I gather the data. Right, you know, you know. You know, you need to know what you do, what you enjoy, how you do it, you know, what does come naturally to you. I mean, so, for example, people are always shocked to discover that I was an incredibly shy child and 
hated getting on stage and was terrified of meeting new people. But, you know, that was something that I cultivated because, you know, I knew that that was a part of me and I needed to just get over the fear around it because I knew that I wanted to engage in the world in a broader sense. So I took on jobs as um, academics, as adjunct lecturer, you know, early on in my career so that I could put myself into a situation of standing up in front of people on a regular basis to sort of, you know, to, to, to dull the pain of that. And now I love it. Now I'm like, this is what I want to do all the time. <laughs> so, so how would you, how would people distinguish between things that they, uh, you know, aren't good at and don't enjoy possibly because of this really deep born fear, mm-hmm. but it's something they could be good at if they overcame the fear in the way that you described, or is it something that they're just never going to be good at? Right. So I think for me, it's about what your bigger life vision is, right? So if you have a vision of sharing a message and you know that there's a particular way to do it, I encourage people to try and figure out how to build the skills to do that, right? So maybe the way that they share it is through writing. Maybe they share it through, um, you know, podcasting. Maybe they share it through being on stage, right? There are lots of different ways to share your story and there isn't necessarily one way is the right way, right? But if you are clear on your bigger mission and the value you are bringing to the world, you need to figure out a way of getting it out there. Right. So that's part of it is that if it's just kind of like, I feel like I should be good at public speaking because like that's a skills check. I I want to check on my resume. That's different from I've got this message about whatever it is that I need to share with the world. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why Clubhouse is doing so well is that a lot of people are uncomfortable being on camera. Right. And Clubhouse is great because you can be in your pajamas, you know, for all anybody knows, (laughs) you know, while you're having these conversations and you're not thinking do I have spinach in my teeth how's my face look you know when did I last get my hair cut during COVID right <laughs> right 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 so at the, at the risk of uh, totally geeking out on habits which I which I could do and we we could do this uh, uh, is is that this idea of uh, of a bigger life vision is leveraging that future identity as an intrinsic motivator that yeah. that's really I think what you're what you're getting at and so yeah again at the risk of geeking out on the, on that on the habit stuff uh, let's just couch this in in nonprofit terms because I know you as a consultant and coach work. Uh, w- well beyond uh, uh, just nonprofits, you work with with lots of different types of organizations. But I I want to couch it in those terms. Uh, one of the challenges, uh, a key challenge for nonprofit leaders is uh, burnout. So trying to do everything, uh, and so that's one that's one element. But there are also uh, certain habits around. Uh, the way we we structure and 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 look at our work, and there's there's some basically industry self talk about the way we have to raise money, or the way that we should be looking at our programs, or looking at partnerships, or the the interaction with the board that are sort of you could say popular wisdom or just the accepted ways of doing things. Some you know it's, it's a cultural uh, mm-hmm. phenomenon with with within nonprofits, and some of those are um, bad habits easy and good habits hard. Um, so so. Uh, just bear, bearing that context in in mind uh, as, as as best you can. Um, let's talk about why are bad habits easy and 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 good habits hard. Um, what what makes what makes a a, a bad habit uh, easy in in our perception? Is it simply because we've been doing it for so long and that it really has taken on the status of habit, and so it's 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 easier to carry on doing than to try and stop. So, I mean, I, so as a starting point, I try to avoid using the bad and good um, 
labels because, you know, we um, add, I feel like we add shame to it. And when we add shame to the conversation, it makes it much harder to think about changing it, right? So the first thing I say to people is try and go into this with a sense of grace, right? Um, okay. And, you know, and, and, and try to go into it with a sense of like, you know, you know, gentleness and forgiveness, right? Because when we start adding that, I mean, it's a little bit like one of the things, I, so I'm a Buddhist, right? And in the mm -hmm. popular lingo, people talk about karma. Oh, karma's going to get her. Karma's going to get him, you know? And actually the word karma just literally just means action. It doesn't have a positive or negative thing associated with it, right? So, okay. you know, we add the positive or the negative, you know, um, piece on top of it. And so habit... When we want to use karma as retribution. Right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like karma's going to get that ex of mine or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, oh, right, okay. Um, and so I, I look at habits in that way too, right? Habits are just behavior patterns that we've constructed, right? And we've constructed them through our personal experience, through, you know, long use, through the families we grow, grew up in, all of the things, right? And so as a starting point, I try to look at my habits and think, do they fit with what I'm trying to achieve, right? What is my goal here? What am I trying to do in the world? Who am I trying to help? What is the point of this, right? And is the habit I'm doing contributing to that or not, right? And part of it as well is what is the internal driver? So I um, co-host a room on Clubhouse on Mondays and um, we talk about habits. And one of the things we were talking about this past Monday was, you know, how an external behavior can have completely different internal drivers, right? So, you know, eating ice cream, eating ice cream Extra with your kids on a beautiful sunny day is a completely different internal driver than eating a tub of Ben and Jerry's on the sofa because you've just been dumped, right? Same behavior, eating the ice cream, totally different internal driver, right? So when yeah. we're looking at our habits, we want to see what is, what is the reason we are doing this habit and what is it contributing to, right? So if as a nonprofit, you've got a goal of raising X amount of money and you've always done it this way, what's the data? Does doing it this way make sense? Are you just doing it because you've got the contacts? This is the way you were trained to do it. This is the way you've always done it. But actually, in reality, it doesn't work. And what would make much more sense is to follow a completely different methodology. Right. Okay. So we want to avoid the question of of, of sort of bad, um, bad and good as such, because for, for the reasons you outlined, like shame and uh, and looking at whether a habit serves and sort of right. evaluating it on on that basis. But what I, I guess I was trying to get to with with this this question of bad habits easy, good habits hard is this idea that um, there's some resistance to uh, we're sort of locked in to a certain extent for with our with our existing patterns, and we it's it's hard work to try and replace them with better patterns. Totally, totally. So there's two, two things to think about here. One is that starting is really hard, right? So I like to give the analogy of a car, you know, like get the first gear is the strongest gear in the car because that's the one that gets the car in motion, right? So starting habits is always way harder than continuing them. To, so be aware of that when you're thinking okay. about doing it and think about the context that you're setting that up in. And if you look at like New Year's resolutions, which often is habit driven, 92% of people have quit their New Year's resolutions by February because they've not created the structure to support that, right? And then to your point about changing, right? Once a habit structure, a habit loop is in place, right? And a habit is made up of three things, a cue, 
the action, which is the actual habit, the behavior, and then the reward, what are you getting out of it, right? Once that's in place, the brain has created deeply engraved structures, right? So you've probably heard the what fires together, wires together, right? Which came from Donald Hebb's book in the 1940s. And it's basically like, you know, like the, like the insulation on my, the cable charging my laptop, right? The rubber or the plastic on the on the electric cables allows it to travel more quickly and so when you do something repeatedly that is happening in the brain it's called myelination right so once a habit cycle is deeply embedded getting rid of it is really hard it's like a you know the the ancient yogis used to talk about it as like a, a groove in the brain through the wheels of the of the cart horse you know that had like what you know yeah. When they saw yeah. the brain, they saw all these like knobbly bits and they were like, oh, maybe that's what that's all about, right? <laughs> and so what we want to do is replace it. And how do we replace it? We want to identify the cue and the reward, right? What is triggering the habit cycle and what are we getting out of it, right? Are we doing this because, are we doing this because X, Y, Z, right? What is what is the reason for doing this? You know, what is, are we doing this because it's the time of year? It's like, oh crap, this is the time of year. This is when we need to bring the money in right? Are we doing it because our boss said this is the time of year to do it? Are we doing it because we're in a state of fear that we're not going to make payroll next month? Like what is cueing this behavior, right? And what are we getting out of it? And when we can start looking at that and understanding that, we can then change the loop. Right. So, um, and, I, and I've, I've been using that, that sort of model with, with some success uh, with some nonprofit leaders identifying the the cues around some of their the, the sort of time management behaviors and being able to then stop uh, the self talk around some um, decisions around uh, over scheduling and, and and things of that nature. Um, but the harder one, it seems, is 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 the re is the reward um, and and understanding with that. Can we talk about how complex rewards uh, can often be? I mean, we might think as you you were using the ice cream example that the ice eating the ice cream is the reward because that's the physical observable external behavior um but uh there's some suggestion that that may not actually be what the 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 heart of the reward right so you know as we're social beings so rewards are often people related right so that's a big driver is social interaction which you know covid has really brought to the forefront right and we see that in societies that thrive social interaction is is a prime feature of their regular behavior so social interaction is a big reward um a a, a a numerical change is a big reward like when i do this i bring in more money when i do this the number on the scales go down when i do this you know my instagram followers triple or whatever it is right so we numbers are a great reward so there you know there are a number of different ways you know feeling in our body right back to the the detox thing right so often when we look at our behaviors it's related to how we end up feeling right like so do i feel better when i do or don't do that do I feel heavier? Do I feel lethargic? Do I feel energized? Right. So part of it is learning to listen to it. Right. Because again, we are very much um, led by the ought. Right. Like you ought yeah. to do this. Right. So learning to listen to what feels good for you is a big part of that. So the reward system is about you really understanding yourself and giving yourself the space to understand what feels good for you and recognizing that what feels good for you might not feel good for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone, so if someone is, uh, say has a bad habit of staying up late, you know, go, carrying on binge watching, Oh, we'll watch another episode 
uh, of this series or you know i'll i'll you know i died too early in this in this <laughs> game on my xbox i need to go back and and you know uh, re-up and re-weaponize and see what i can do mm -hmm. in, in this next world or you know whatever it is that keeps you up till till two and you wanted to go to bed uh, by 11 and and then you find you know next night uh, or same situation you, you're you're ending up doing it again so you know it's something you shouldn't do and you know that you're going to feel tired the next day but you sort of do it anyway what how what's the feeling um, or reward in that in that sense how should people understand that well, so you're getting that you're getting the immediate gratification, but you're not seeing the, the the future piece, right? So, you know, what I will often say to people who are doing that is I'll say track it. You know, for a couple of weeks, when you go to bed at ten and you know, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? How many cups of coffee do you need to get going? Do you get out of bed without hitting the snooze button three times, right? Do you mm -hmm. wake up and like go straight to your morning practices of meditating, going for a run, whatever? Or do you think, screw that, I'm going to go and like lie on the couch and or go to Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee, right? You know, right. So, so track it, right? So that's one way to start doing it is gather the data on yourself and track and see how you feel. But, you know, but that again ties back to the bigger vision thing. So, you know, I use a vision framework, which is a yogic framework, which includes pleasure. Right. And pleasure for me is having a body that works because I want to be that grandmother that chases my grandkids around. I want when my kids leave home to, you know, be able to jump on a bike, to be able to hike up Machu Picchu, to have the energy to do that. Right. So what does mm -hmm. that mean? That means for me going to bed. It means for me working out, even on the days when I think, F this. Like, I just want to sit on the sofa because it's 20 below and it's snowing and I don't want to yeah. Today, right? So that's where you you like gathering the data on yourself and seeing what you're actually doing and how you actually feel when you do or don't do certain things. But then tying it to that bigger vision, like what am I trying to do here and what's important for me? And does my behavior correlate with that or not? Yeah. So okay, so here's another geek out uh, on, on habits. Um Tracking it and bringing it is, is a great a great tool. The the sort of diaries or uh, uh, of of whether whatever it is that you're tracking, whether it's food, exercise, sleep, yeah. uh, you know, work work commitments, those sorts yeah. of things. But what what you're doing really is bringing the unconscious habit that you do in a fog without thinking into consciousness, right? And actually, say observing it, and that's how, uh, for example, with the cues work, I've been able to help nonprofit leaders review the way they spend their time because the cue for a decision to take another to take another meeting or to take on another task or another responsibility is a lot of the shoulds and the, the self-talk they go through and that is then the cue that gets them to overcommit or mm -hmm. over schedule right. and so by 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 bringing that into consciousness they've been able to uh, halt it mm -hmm. and stop and 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 then take more control of their 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 own calendar yeah, um, but I think that's the that's the that's the really key to unlocking the the habits is to observe is is to not let it happen in this invisible fog. Absolutely, and that, I mean, and that's part of the thing about it too is that where it's happening in the brain, right? So our brain evolved up and forward. So the most evolved part of the brain is right here, the prefrontal cortex. And the reason we want to look at the cue and the reward is that they're located here in the prefrontal cortex, whereas the actual habit part is in a less evolved, like the mammalian reptilian brain is much more involved in that part of the habit loop. 
So if you want to have access to changing the habit, you don't want to just use willpower on changing the behavior, which is where a lot of people go wrong. They're like, I need to just change this behavior. And so they, they're like, I'm going to do this thing. And you like muscle through it. And willpower is like a muscle, right? Exactly. I'm just going <clears> to... <throat> rather than going, what is cueing it, right? Why am I doing this? What are the people around me doing or not doing to support this? You know, how am I feeling when I do this? Like, what am I getting out of it, right? And so when you start looking at the bits on either side of the behavior, that's where the gold is in terms of changing it. Right. Okay. So if, so when, what do people, what, what do you advise people to do when they identify something? Um, and if you, if you, um, forgive me just for the moment, we'll call it a bad habit. <laughs> just to use the sort of common term. And I appreciate what you're saying about, yeah. about uh, approaching it with a, with a notion of, of grace and forgiveness and gentleness and, 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 and a change mindset and, and so on. But people are determined to address uh, a bad habit what's the first thing they should do so the first thing they should do is they should uh, articulate it like break it down what what's the cue and what's the reward right so for example if you if you have this habit of you know your day finishes and you walk into the kitchen and open a bottle of wine and before you know it, it's nine o'clock you've drunk a bottle of wine and you've eaten a pizza and watched four episodes of i don't know um queer eye right rather than yeah. you know going to the gym walking the dog making a green smoothie for the morning and you know whatever else it is right reading Speaking yourself to your children <laughs> yeah exactly all of the stuff that we're supposed to be doing right yeah. um so you think, okay, well, how can I change that? So you think, okay, so the cue is I walk into the kitchen. I finished my business day at six o'clock. So what cue could I do instead? So you might say, okay, I'm going to put in the entrance to the, to the, to the kitchen, a pair of running shoes, a nice, my, my, you know, Bose headphones and, um, and a water bottle, right? So you walk into the kitchen, instead of going straight for the bottle of wine, there are your running shoes, there's your headset, there's your water bottle, you put on your running shoes and you go out the door, right? So you're changing the cue, right? So you're, right. You, so you've still got this, this action, you've still got this behavior, like I walk into the kitchen and what could I do instead, right? So, so it's breaking that cycle, architecting the environment so it looks exactly. different, it feels different, it's got exactly. a different, different scent exactly. to it. And it's almost sort of jarring your brain into yeah. saying, wait, what's going on here? I can't just fall into my rut, you know, the, the cartwheels, uh, yeah. you know, in the, in the dirt. I've actually got to think of, of what is it I'm doing and make a conscious choice totally. about it. Totally. So you want to notice what's the cue? Is it, is it a time? Is it, is it a person? So for example, we see that with addiction, right? There's that certain people will notice that being around certain people, you know, elevates their desire to drink, smoke, take the drugs or whatever, right? So it's like, okay, when I'm in these bars with these people in these environments, I, you know, do this. Or emotion is another cue, right? So when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling rejected, when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling bored, I fill in the blank, right? I eat, I drink, I, you know, get on Instagram, I shop for shit I don't need on Amazon, whatever it is, right? So you identify what's the thing that's cueing that. So the first thing you need to do if you want to change that bad habit is to figure out why, why am I doing it? Right. And one of the things that I've noticed with people when they talk about habits um, and in in trying to apply this notion of cue, action, reward, mm -hmm. is the scale of the habit that we're we're talking about. So, um, for example, uh, if you want to get people to, uh, like with COVID, wash their hands at certain points, you make it really easy to put a sanitizer dispenser right right in the door, and that's a single 
simple action. Right. Likewise, if you want to uh, train yourself to have a glass of water as soon as you wake up, you put a glass of water the night before where right. you'll see it right, right when you wake up. Right. You know, those sorts of things. But then there are more complicated uh, behaviors uh, that people will say, that, like the ones that I was um, talking about earlier, where people say, oh, well, I'm, I always overschedule. I'm always working to the last minute. That's not a single action. And it's tough sometimes to break it down into what exactly is the, the cue action and the reward because it's sort of multi-layered. Right. And so that often one of the things about that is a sense of, you know, of, of sort of, so, you know, when I talk about detoxing the mind and your mental I, it, and, you know, navigating that, one of the things I talk a lot about that is boundaries, right? And often okay. people overschedule because of a failure of boundaries, because of an inability to say no and remembering that no is a complete sentence, which is a really tough one, right? Um, that was a complete so, sentence. <laughs> you know, so learning to say no, right? So, for example, you know, often I've got a client right now who is chronically overscheduled, right? He works for himself, entrepreneur, very successful. And um, not only is he very busy during the day, but he's also somebody who's a sort of self-development junkie so his e and a volunteer junkie so his evenings he sits on three boards and you know volunteer you know so he's you know often you know on it from sort of six thirty-seven in the morning until nine at night and so i've challenged him in the last three weeks to schedule four or five hour chunks every like every week with nothing on his calendar and what he has to do as he goes into that time is stop and go what do I need right now? What do I want right now? What would fill my cup the most right now? Would it be to reply to that email that's been bugging me for the last days? Would it be creating that? Or should I just go for a walk around the park with my dog? Because actually I've been sitting on my butt for the last six hours, but actively scheduling space onto his calendar. So, you know, when we get deeper, often one of the things that stops people from creating space is the fear of being with themselves, right? Which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that meditation is frightening for a lot of people because they're like, I, I don't want to see what's inside there, <laughs> right? So, Pandora. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, I will encourage people to, to like cr forcibly create spaces where they have to reflect but also get peel the layers back baby like if you want to grow and evolve like what what's what's underneath that is the reason you're filling it in because of a fear of safety like i'm not going to bring enough money and that's why i'm constantly booked is it that people are watching me and you know if i have like blocks on my calendar which are not like my you know my assistants my employers are going to think that i'm lazy like what's what's driving it so be willing to stop and look right it seems uh, a chronic uh, over room it could be at the risk of when forced to take that hour-long break think okay what do i need well i need to fill my time so <laughs> rush off and right. do that but then that tells you something else right you have right. to peel another layer back but what I what I think you're getting at here, and again, I, I don't think this is geeking out too much on on, on habits. But uh, again, it's bringing into the, the consciousness the self talk, and I, and I mm -hmm. find a lot of people uh, that I coach are un unaccustomed to evaluating their self talk. I mean, they 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 self talk at a million miles an hour and take it on board, but don't consciously listen to what they're saying and and critically evaluate it as though someone else were saying that to them. Right, totally. 
totally absolutely absolutely and that's part of the gathering the data right so we have to gather the felt data and the the numerical data right the quantitative and the qualitative data and we have to be willing to look at that and see how we feel right because you know apparently about 95 percent of our lives are are driven by unconscious drivers right so if we're not willing to pull pull the layers back and see what's going on there and like figure out really what's going on inside there what's driving that then it's going to be hard to change the behavior you know yeah um and i think you know i think you know for the last 10 minutes i'd, I'd like to cover how people can take sort of more control and i think what i'm hearing from you is that uh people who work with you uh, and really want to dive into their their behavior and their habits are really learning a new tool set to control their lives altogether. Um, yeah. And it seems like if you start to gather the data and cleanse your detox your your mind and start to evaluate your 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 self talk and so on, you you can't really go backwards from that, can you? No, and you and and you know and you will fall off the wagon because we all do, right? But the thing to to notice is is you get back on much more quickly because you're like, oh, look, here I am. I fell off it again. What do I need to do? Okay, what do I need? I need to blah, 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 right? I need to do follow the steps and get back on it again, right? And not right. sit there going, woe is me. I screwed up again. <laughs> right, right, right. So so for people who who want to really take control of, of those habits and, and uh, lay, lay on good habits. Uh, I just want to throw in one question and see whether, how, how you, your experience as a coach. I've heard from a lot of health and lifestyle coaches who told me that they've had very little difficulty working with clients and getting them to adopt new habits, whether it's around their work or their lifestyle, their relationships or their health and diet and all, and all the rest of it. But what then creeps up and what's challenging is that the bad habits or the pre the previous habits that were no longer serving them, <laughs> that they wish to relinquish or jettison, creep back in. Like there's some gravitational pull in the old <laughs> ways of doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so one, do you see that and experience it? I assume you're going to say, tell me yes. Then what do you do about it? And I'm sure you've got a, a, a solution. So um, I'd like I'd like to hear that because that seems to me a real key for people, you know, taking this lifestyle change to control their habits and make them work for them rather than against them. Right. So yes, of course, that happens to everybody. And the first thing I, I'll say to people is like, is 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 uh, is what are you getting out of it? You know, why are you doing this? You know, what what is the point here? Right? Can you articulate that? You know, is is the overeating the not you know the staying up late the not calling the, like what's driving this right the return and, to the old the old ways if you will yeah. yeah right like why are you falling back into this behavior pattern again right and, 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 and people say and so the reason the reason what i've what i've heard coaches say and i've heard from 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 my own people as well is that they say i don't know i just find myself doing doing it that way again. And it's sort of like falling off the wagon. Well, to but which I, I seem like there's more underlying it. To which I say, which I call bullshit. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, 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 it's like, oh, la, la, I don't know why I drew on the wall, mommy. La, 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 la. <laughs> you know, like, come on. You know, like, you know, if you're showing up with a coach, you're, you've got to be willing to do the work, right? And so I think one of the first things that I'll say to people, and one of the first things I'll say to people who are considering working with me is, 
are you willing to take radical responsibility for your actions? You know, because if you are blaming your situation on other people and the world and whatever, if you're blaming others, it's not going to work, right? So you have to stop and take radical responsibility for your own experience and then figure it out, right? And maybe, you know, the reason you're so so maybe so let's so let's take food because food's an easy example maybe you've committed to being vegan you know five days a week and eating like fat-free vegan really healthy but by friday you're like mother of god i want a steak right and then you go out and you get a steak or like a philly cheese sub or like and you're just like give me the carbs and the fat and the animal protein right and you're just like so then so then maybe you stop and you go well, maybe I'm not getting enough of the right ingredient. Like maybe I'm not getting enough iron. Maybe I'm not getting enough fat. Maybe like, maybe I need to change what I'm doing. Like one option would be another option would be like, who said I had to be vegan 99% of the time. Can I eat a burger on Friday nights and go back to being vegan again on Saturday and, and be okay. Like, can I be flexible about this? Right. So, you know, let's look at why we're falling back into this behavior again. And what are we getting out of it? Right. What, what is, what is the point of this? Is it because, you know, Friday night is when I go out with my friends and we hang out and I don't want to be the one sitting at the table eating goddamn celery sticks while they're all like sitting there you know sinking their teeth into a great juicy burger right, right. so again so you're looking at what's going on right but it's also who's controlling the agenda isn't it like who decides right. what's right for me do i right. do it or or right. is it you know these shoulds and the right. masturbation and the shooting on me and the environment like where am i operating right so one of the things that i also do in the detox piece with my clients is i like let's detox our space because space has energy right and you know if you walk into a room and you're trying to work in it but it's got recipes and like divorce papers and like your kids are on the floor and like six empty coffee cups you know maybe you'll just be like like I can't I can't do it in the space like these things are all triggering memories and thoughts and like productivity issues that you know what I mean right so it's like yeah. what's going on in this so what's the environment too you know because environment is huge and we've seen that through like evolution like if you look at the countries where you know they they got political structures in place and they created organized farming why were they able to do that because the environment suited it look at somewhere like greece and italy you know they had temperate climates they had access to water access to plants and you know it was it was easy to create a structure because of the environment right you could then create communities you could create societies rather than being in a great savanna where you know you couldn't access water right for example right 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 so um okay i get i think i get that last last thing then is once you um you know, have have worked with a uh, a habit expert, which we would all recommend, uh, and uh, and and uh, sort of improve the control you have over your life and so on. What when you want to install, if you will, or adopt good habits? Uh, habits can be really, really helpful and positive because they once you've identified what you can um, routinize, you then free your you free your more creative brain up to do to address problems right uh, and and again another over scheduling thing that i found with people is that actually they had certain habits but they also lacked other habits right. that could have structured their time in a different way totally because we make thirty five thousand decisions every day right and that's one of the reasons this is this work is so important when we make thirty five thousand decisions every day if we can automate and create routines and create habits that we don't have to think about for the stuff that we know we need 
the things that we know we need to do, whether it's billing, whether it's fundraising, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's prepping food so that you don't call the pizza or Chinese or, you know, Indian takeout on with Thursday night. When you put those things in place, you reduce the decisions, right? So that the ultimate kicker really is that routines and habits create freedom. But you just have to sort of get get over yourself, right? Because a lot of us are like, I don't want to plan that out. I don't want, you know, it just feels really boring and middle-aged. Like, who wants that, right? So we have to kind of get over that and realize that freedom is created by the creation of these habits. We overvalue spontaneity, don't we? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, you can weave that into it too, right? So, you know, if you, for example, prep your meals, you can go, I've got two choices rather than 95 choices, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, so last thing before um, I ask you to sort of give us another rundown of all the different things that you offer and ways to find you is that, um, and this is just a teaser for another conversation that we'll have to have in future, <laughs> which is there is resistance to routines. You said of putting down the positive routines. And one of the biggest things I've seen people is the fear of those things not being right. What if I, what if the routine is wrong? Uh, and there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole basket of emotions uh, around that, that, uh, but that, that we won't unpack. We'll leave that one sealed for another time. Um, I want to thank you very much for, for uh, this conversation we've had. I don't think we necessarily answered the question as stated, but that's okay because we had a really good review of what habits are, what they aren't. And, how to think about them, uh, and and some of the key points around taking control of uh, of your life by observing it and bringing it into consciousness and understanding what's going on and whether it serves you uh, and making those decisions for yourself. Is that a fair summary? I absolutely, I love it, Kev. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so where can people find you online, and what uh, what have you got uh, uh, off on offer for folks uh, over the next few months? So you can find my me on my website, tamsanasta.com. I'm very active on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram, quite a bit on LinkedIn. I offer three-month coaching packages where we do a lot of this work. We do a lot of this unpacking. And we a one-to-one, correct? One-to-one. That's a one-to-one program. And I also offer regular group programming. I also do corporate consulting and training, and I'm going to be launching in the fall. We're going to be releasing the um, curriculum, I think, in July for Corporate College Tri-C here in Cleveland, which is um, Corporate community, um, uh, uh, Cuyahoga Community College, the business school. And it's a six-week um, certification, 1.8 credit hours, called The Mindful Leader. So I weave together my East and West. So I have a PhD in neuroscience. I'm trained in yoga and Ayurveda and mindset, executive coaching. And I weave all that together to help people figure out how to navigate their big juicy life and business vision with the daily habits through a lens of Ayurveda, i.e. working in alignment with their strengths and energy rather than battling it. Fascinating. Okay. Always great to speak to you, Tamsin. Um, and I'm sure there's some people waiting. What we're going to do now as we do on uh, to leverage the virtues of the Yatmi platform is we're going to bring this main event, the recording of the nonprofit problem solver podcast to a close and those of uh, the, the people who've been listening and joining us in the chat will be uh, in, in their tables when we move to mingle mode. And we'll be able to continue a conversation for a few minutes if you're, uh, if you're game, Tamsin. Got a sure. few minutes extra? Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast.
Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Dr. Tamsin Astor, who you can find at tamsinaster.com, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayak.com. Because good causes deserve better results.